<laughs> Go. No, I can't because you're chewing and you're drinking and being noisy. Ted Bundy. <laughs> you don't need to shout. Hello and welcome to Head Drama. This is a true crime podcast because what the world really needs is another true crime podcast. The purpose of this podcast is not to promote or celebrate crimes and not to offend anyone, but simply to inform and horrify my family and friends. The podcast name derives from the three symptoms or signs of a serial killer. Cruelty to animals, bedwetting and head trauma. If you don't already know, this podcast is going to be with Luke, my boyfriend, my live-in pet. Woo! Bundy. <laughs> that will be the introduction. Bundy. <laughs> Why did you start, like, like <laughs> tonguing your mouth? Just I got bits sp- stuck in it. It's not my fault. Okay, go. Um, Luke doesn't really know much about true crime at all do you well well, not before you met me and the main names that he knows in terms of true crime are ted bundy and ed gein ed gein yes and jack the ripper obviously mainly because he likes to alternate the words and say ed bundy and ted gein Gein. (laughs) just to wind me up so this episode is going to be me really telling him all there is to know about ted bundy and how horrible he actually is how much do you know about ted bundy other than the fact that he drove a vw beetle I didn't even know he drove a VW Beetle. To I be told honest. you this the other week. I forget things. It was in the last podcast that I told you about this. I just I get confused. Um, <laughs> it was he the one featured on Dark Tourist? No, that was Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, they're all interchangeable to me. They could be anyone. Yeah, that's... is he the nice one? Ted Gein, Ted uh, Ted Bundy. <laughs> is Ted Bundy the nice one? That I wouldn't really class any of yeah, them. Yeah, but as you know nice what I mean. Ones. Like everyone was like, oh, he, he was nice. He came across as... He was basically a sociopath because he came across as being very nice and attractive and everyone fancied him and everything. There you go. He's a nice man. He's not a nice man. He killed lots of women. Well, fine. But that <laughs> he's... Like I said, I don't really know any difference between the, any of them. Yeah, that's Luke's kind of input on true crime. True so. crime streets of LA. Where do you get this that's stuff That's a game. From? Is it? Yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> Not we're not talking about this in your game dungeon. Ted Bundy. You don't need to keep leaning forward. Ted Bundy. <laughs> gonna sound. Bundy, 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 Bundy. What are you doing? It's like it's like, it's like a promo. <laughs> what like those radio things? Ted Bundy. <laughs> oh my god! You did not just do the John Cena thing. <laughs> Ted Bundy. <laughs> yeah, I got all the news. You're going, Ted Bundy! Stop doing transition noises! Stop it! This is the. Okay, this is the new podcast. Me telling Luke to stop it. So, Ted Bundy. Yes, Ted Bundy was born Theodore Robert Cowell on November 24th, 1946. His mother was Eleanor Louise Cowell, but everyone called her Louise. Um, the identity of Ted's father is unknown. His birth certificate holds the name of a salesman and Air Force veteran called Lloyd Marshall, but Louise has many conflicting stories about who may or may not be Ted's father. Some of his family members suspected that Ted's real father might be his his granddad, so Louise's dad. Incest is not cool. Well done for that PSA. Yeah. Don't do it, kids. Yeah, Samuel Cowell, who is known for being violent and abusive, but there isn't actually any evidence to support or deny it. But it's just—it's more of just a strong rumor, really. Mm. Who knew Simon Cowell? So 
Samuel Lucas. Cowell. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, Ted was raised similarly to Jack Nicholson because he was raised believing that his grandparents were actually his parents and that his mother was his sister. And he was also a great actor. <laughs> like, I, I, that's not entirely like inaccurate either because he, I guess he kind of was, but not professionally speaking. And they both kill their audience. I hate you. <laughs> he did find the truth out later on, but we'll get to that. What? What do you mean? As in, he did find out that Who his dad was. No, he did, he found oh. out that his mum was that his mum wasn't actually a sister and was actually his mum, but he finds that out a lot later on in life. Oh. Um, yeah, there's the whole thing about Jack Nicholson who was raised the same way, and it was like, well, he didn't turn into a serial killer, but um, but there's also people that think that this could have been like a partial trigger, but I don't really think so. Cool. Anne Rule, who I've told you about, who was he, she worked with Ted and was a close friend of his. She said that he didn't find out about his real parents until 1969 and that Ted has apparently always resented his mother for never speaking about his real father and leaving him to discover the secrets about his parentage himself. Even though his family made the choice to cover up uh, this scandal for the sake of reputation, he still had a fairly turbulent childhood, as most of them tend to do. Why do you look look confused? I just want the gory bits. I'll get there! (laughs) When did he murder someone? Well, I... I'm I'm getting to a little bit of a gory bit. Um, his grandfather slash potential father was supposedly a racist bully as well as physically abusive to his family and animals. So he wasn't a grandfather after all. You can fuck off. His grandmother was the opposite and Ted described her as a timid and obedient woman but to be honest, if your husband was that abusive I can't really imagine why, why you wouldn't be. Was this the 50s? Or like what? Well, he was born in 46, so yeah. Well, that's... I guess that's fifties housewives. Can't, you can't say that. Well, no, like yes, I, I guess you know from sort of my like American sort of film studies, like in most films that is what it's the stereotype. Sort of, that's the stereotype. Even like films made at the time. Yeah. That was that's how they were. Yeah, there isn't actually anything documented to say that he has like the symptoms of a serial killer. Um, there was no bedwetting, no cruelty to animals, no head trauma, unfortunately. Boo-hoo. Thanks, Ted. He did sometimes show strange behaviour. I feel like you're going to laugh at this. One example of his strange behaviour was that he once apparently placed knives all around his Aunt Julia's body while she was sleeping, and then she, when she woke up, Ted was just watching her and smiling. Do you think that's where they got the inspiration from that bit in The Suicide Squad? Uh, probably not, because I think it's kind of been overdone. Yeah, they had like the Joker laughing while the knives were all around him in a circle. It wasn't just knives though. I think it looked like there was baby clothes around him as well. If you could look back at the scene, there's all kinds of shit around him. It's bizarre. It's a bad movie anyway. Yeah, it's a bad movie. That can be a separate podcast. Ted and his real mother Louise moved from Philadelphia to Washington in 1950, where she soon met and married Johnny Culpepper Bundy, who was a hospital. I'm cook. sorry. Johnny Culpepper Bundy. Johnny Culpepper Bundy. Yeah, why is that funny? Cool pepper. As in C U L pepper. Not like cool pepper. Cool pepper. (laughs) Not not cool pepper. Johnny Cool Pepper. (laughs) Johnny Bundy uh, formally adopted Ted, and Johnny and Louise went on to have four children. And despite trying to include him in family activities and trips and stuff, Ted remained fairly distant. Ted made various claims about his social life, which mostly consisted of him saying that he preferred to be alone and didn't understand interpersonal relationships which kind of supports the theory that he's a sociopath I mean probably is um, but this is conflicted by classmates at his high school who, to- who told Anne Rule that he was well known and well liked well 
So they told Anne Yeah, his classmates. Obviously not when they were at school. Well, don't, you don't know. Don't you <laughs> like, this guy's a bit suspicious. He graduated from high school in 1965 and studied at the University of Washington, where he went to study Chinese. Well, you know, he was ahead of the game. Not really. Um, I mean, Chinese, Mandarin, like yeah, business, but... the language of business. Well, English no, is the language no. Of business, Stop but... referencing Desperate Housewives. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> a desperate, but yeah, like he. Well, he was clearly a clever man. Oh yeah, he was. He was very clever, but he just he didn't. Well, this is like one of the many times that he changed what he was studying at university. He couldn't oh, right, really seem okay. to make his mind up. Um, in 1967, um, the year after he started uni, he met Stephanie Brooks, who is a very important person. You kind of remember her for later on. In 1968, he dropped out of university and worked at just general minimum wage jobs. Not long after this, Stephanie broke up with him, stating that he was immature and lacked ambition. This absolutely devastated him, which is a perfectly normal reaction. And he travelled around the US for a bit and he visited relatives and then went back to Philadelphia where he enrolled at Temple University for one semester. It was around here that Unruh states that Ted found out about his true parentage when he visited the Office of Birth Records in Burlington. I was listening to, I think it was All Killer No Filler, which is another true crime podcast. I think it was them that said that he went to the offices based on like the rumours that he heard around his family and everything. And that was when he found out about his mum. He returned to Washington in autumn 1969 where he met Elizabeth Klopfer. I'm not going to try and say her last name again because it's spelled weird, but I think it's a pseudonym anyway. Who worked as a secretary at the University of Washington School of Medicine. She, again, she'll be quite important later on. In 1970, Ted was more focused and he re-enrolled at the University of Washington as a psychology major. Well. <laughs> what was that noise? Well, psychology, that's pretty good. Yeah, he was popular with his professors and he became an honour student. In 1971, he got a job at Seattle's Suicide Hotline Crisis Centre. Oh, I, I thought you were, sorry, I thought you were going to say Seattle Grace Hospital. Crazy anatomy. Yeah, I know. I'm just, just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got a job at the Hotline Crisis Centre, which is where he met Anne Rule. She was a former police officer which would go, who would go on to write The Stranger Beside Me, which is regarded as one of the definitive Bundy biographies. Definitive she, BB. Shut up. <laughs> She saw nothing disturbing about his personality at the time and even described him as kind and empathetic. This is where I can kind of chime in with some of the stuff that Paul Harrison said about Ted Bundy, which is he was um, one of the first police officers to be sent from the UK to work with the FBI. He did a talk at a club recently that I went to go and see. His job was basically to interview and profile serial killers. He met and interviewed Ted and found out that while Ted was working at the Suicide Hotline Centre, there were complaints about Ted because he was occasionally inappropriate when speaking about certain people on the phone. Paul says that he was effectively grooming certain people he spoke to and was kind of like evaluating them as potential victims. Nothing was ever done about it because it was the 70s and nothing was recorded, so they didn't actually have any proof that he was doing this. Um, Paul asked if Ted had read the books that Anne had written about him, and Ted said he had, and that he returned all of them to her because he was appalled by some of the things that she implied and that a lot of it wasn't true. Interestingly, when he spoke about the grooming, he said that Anne worked right alongside him and never at any point did she call him out on the way that he spoke to people. She never said it was wrong or did anything about it. Paul later spoke to her and told her what Ted had said and she simply said that she didn't know and didn't remember. So Paul was forced to kind of dismiss a lot of things that Anne had said. I suppose, you know, if you get if you're selling a story Yeah. And you're 
she had the, I suppose she had an advantage when she can tell the story because she she was the only one you know she she can play that card yeah. and people will just believe everything she says whether it's true or not yep okay back in 1972 ted had graduated and worked in politics and eventually became assistant to ross davis who is the chairman of the washington state republican party he ended up getting accepted into a couple of law schools based on the recommendation letters from his associates and psychology professors whilst he was working for the republican party he went on a business trip to california where he met stephanie brooks again because she was originally from there i always want to when I hear California, I go, California. That's not, that's Brooklyn. That's a Brooklyn no, accent. No, 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 because there's a film called The Wizard and there's, and it's sort of basically it's big Nintendo advertisement where there's this kid who's, you would say he's got special needs and he, but he's really good at video games and he wants to enter Nintendo World Championships and this guy's like, oh, he got so many points and they go and he goes, California. Anyway. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. But yeah. So Steph Brooks. Yeah, Stephanie Brooks. She was the one that dumped him earlier on. Oh, no. He met up with her again, and she was very impressed with his progress and his hard-working attitude. So he began dating Stephanie, but he was also dating Elizabeth at the same time, and none of them actually knew about each other. Yeah, none of them knew about each other. He continued seeing Stephanie, and they, to the point where they started discussing getting married and having kids and all that sort of stuff. And I think he proposed to her. I think it's a couple of weeks. I think, according to the last podcast on the left, he proposed, and then I think about a week later, he abruptly ended all contact with her. She couldn't get hold of him for ages, and she finally did. And she asked him what was going on, and he just said, "Stephanie, I have no idea what you mean," and hung up on her, and they never spoke again. So that's like, if you're going to get back at someone for dumping you, oh yeah, then you know, string her along to the point of proposing to them, and then just disappear. I yeah. Mean, Ted supposedly said later on that he just wanted to prove to himself that he could have married her. Ted Bundy, the ultimate ghost. <laughs> yeah, he ghosted her. <laughs> ghosted her. Yeah. He's just ahead of his time. <laughs> um, after, his, after his breakup with Stephanie, he stopped attending law school and this is when his murder spree began. Um, there's a lot of speculation about when the murders actually began because he told different stories to different people but we'll go with the crimes that we know of and that are the earliest documented homicides which were committed in 1974 when he was 27 years old. Oh, I'll be 27 soon. Shut up. What, what, is, what is wrong with you? Maybe something changes when you're 27. Just saying. I feel very concerned about being in a small room with you right now. Psycho. You say that like I didn't understand the reference. The listeners might not. You may continue. On January 4th, 1974, yeah, it was literally like days after he broke up with Stephanie, he broke into the basement flat of 18-year-old Karen Sparks, who was a student at the University of Washington. Karen was asleep and used a metal rod from her bed frame to bludgeon her. Um, it is. It has been said that he sexually assaulted her with it as well, but the, from the resources I've looked at, some people say he used a rod and left it in her for the police to find, but then... Uh, and it said that he either also used a speculum or used a speculum on her. Do you know what a speculum what? is? It's the uh, lady opener. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but geez, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're going to say something. What I was going to say mm. is after so many years, like we're talking, what, it's over 30 years since this has happened. Yeah. How do How do we not know? I, it's just from the sources that I've read. Like sources say different things. 
This I just find it strange that that there isn't just a this is what happened. Yeah, there probably is in like his actual case notes, but oh. I'm I'm going off the internet, so okay. there's news articles that probably exaggerated it or okay. Yeah, Karen Sparks actually survived this miraculously. Um, she was unconscious for ten days after the attack, but survived with permanent physical and mental disabilities. So interesting. That's interesting. Mm. On February 1st, which is almost a month later, Ted broke into the room of Linda Ann Healy, who was his cousin's roommate, and she was a weather reporter for, the, for a morning radio station. He beat her until she was unconscious and dressed her in blue jeans, a white blouse, and boots before he carried her away. Um, in the first six months of 1974, female college students began disappearing at the rate of one per month, which is like, which is a lot. On March 12th, Donna Gail Manson left her... Not, not related to Charles. No, no, no. Okay, as, just, as far uh, as I know, no relation. Okay. She left her dormitory to attend a jazz concert on campus, but she never arrived. She was a student at the Evergreen State College in Olympia, which was about 60 miles from Seattle, so driven 60 miles to, like, search for a victim. On April 17th, Susan Elaine Rancourt disappeared while she was on her way to an evening advisors meeting at the Central Washington State Library, which is 110 miles from Seattle. Mm. Uh, two female students at this college later came forward to report encounters. One was on the same night that Susan disappeared and one was three nights earlier where a man wearing an arm sling asked for help carrying books to his Volkswagen Beetle. That's the thing that he tended to do. He tended to kind of pretend that he was he was disadvantaged in some way and needed help. That was how he kind of enticed oh, people. Interesting. Just, you know, I suppose it's a good tactic. People... It worked. <laughs> people don't want to... If you're approached, like, please help me, you'd be... yeah. You, know, you, you, you don't really have any reason to think no. otherwise. Um, on May 6th, Roberta Kathleen Parks left her, dorm, left her dorm at Oregon State University to have coffee with her friends, but never arrived. Detectives got more worried because they didn't really have anything to go off. There wasn't actually any physical evidence. And the women had nothing in common apart from the fact that they were young, white, and had long brown hair parted in the middle, just like Stephanie Brooks had. Oh, okay. Um, so these people... I don't know if I missed it, but are these just disappearances at this point, or are these people who've been sexually assaulted? Uh, at the moment, they are just disappearances, okay, but so there will be something about their bodies later on. Okay, so at at this point in, there's just women disappearing. They're just, they're just these are people who've just disappeared. Yeah, no one knows where they are, where they've gone. Like okay. that, they literally they have nothing to go off of the fact that these women are disappearing, and the university students, most of them. June first. Brenda Carol Ball disappeared after she left the Flame Tavern near the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. She was last seen in the parking lot talking to a brown-haired man with with his arm in a sling. On June 11th, George Ann Hawkins, who was a student at University of Washington, disappeared on her on the way home from her boyfriend's dorm, which was 50 yards from hers. After she disappeared, witnesses came forward to report seeing a man in another alley behind a dorm who was on crutches with a leg cast and struggling to carry a briefcase another thing you did crutches arm sling leg cast yeah mostly that mm, and usually struggling to carry something either like a briefcase or books or something <clears throat> was there any particular reason he chose these people does it make sense or? uh well they looked i'll show you some pictures of them in a bit but um they tended to kind of fit the criteria that his girlfriend his ex-girlfriend no. looked like and also apparently he was very good at just like kind of finding victims and uh, and basically kind of sizing up who was vulnerable. I suppose he travelled so far and wide to do it that you wouldn't necessarily assume that you know these would have by the same victim. That's just some of them. 
Okay, that's a as a resemblance yeah. on most of these women. Yeah, they're all kind of brown hair, parting in the middle. Yeah, all very similar looking. Yeah, they've all just kind of got generic features. They're, they're they're attractive, but they're not like I wouldn't say they're model. They just seem like normal girls. There's nothing really. Well, I, I mean, the main factor is is the hair. Yeah. If we're going to point out anything, they probably it's the hair which she's probably yeah. picked up on. Yeah. Ted had a type. Yes. During this time, Ted worked in Olympia at the Department of Emergency Services, which was a state government agency and that were involved in the search for the missing women. So he kind of had a little bit of insider knowledge. While he was there, he met and dated Carol Ann Boone. You've got to remember her because she'll be important later on. After all the reports of missing women, hitchhiking drastically decreased because I still kind of forget that hitchhiking was even a thing. Well, that's good though. At least there was some... Yeah, but then this, this wasn't necessarily because the police were like giving out warnings or anything. They could have said, they could have pointed out the hair thing and mm. suggested that women don't, women cut their hair or change their hair or something, but they didn't. Yeah. The authorities noticed more similarities between the victims. They usually disappeared at night around the time of exam season. Um, they were usually wearing jeans or casual trousers and there were frequent sightings of a man wearing a cast or a sling driving a brown slash tan Volkswagen Beetle. On... July 14th, Ted abducted two... This is, like, the kind of... Almost, like, the kind of impressive one. Um, he abducted two women from a crowded beak... Beak? Beak? <laughs> <laughs> Ted abducted two women from a crowded beach at Lake Sammamish State Park. Ooh, beach. He was apparently wearing a white tennis outfit with his left arm in a sling and would ask for ask women for their help unloading a sailboat from his car. Does Pete, did he cover his face? No, like literally, this bit after this was happening, people were saying like, "Oh, there was a guy that looked like this who was calling himself, who was introducing himself as Ted." He wasn't even like trying to use a fake name or anything. That's how cocky he was, because he knew that he wasn't right. in court. When he was asking women, four women refused. Clever. One accepted, and then one ran away when she saw there was no sailboat attached to his car because he'd, he'd park like a while away, ask for the help, they'd go to his car, and then he—that's when he'd usually knock them out and then take them somewhere else. Mm. Janice Ann Ott later agreed to help him and was last seen leaving with him. Four hours later, Denise Marie Nasland left a picnic to go to the toilet and never came back. Um, Ted apparently admitted later that Janice was still alive when he kidnapped Denise and he forced one of them to watch as he murdered the other one, but he denied this later on. Yeah, this is this is something that you'll probably find baffling. After the witness reports, a composite sketch was printed in newspapers and broadcast on the TV. Um, as well as details about the suspect and their car. Elizabeth Klopfer, Anne Rule, and an employee from the Department of Emergency Services and one of Ted's old university professors all recognised the profile, the sketch and the car and reported Ted. The authorities did nothing because they were receiving tips every day and thought it was unlikely that a clean-cut law student with no criminal record could be a suspect. Aren't they all? (laughs) On September 6th, the skeletal remains of Janice and Denise were discovered two miles away from the lake where, from where they'd been abducted. Uh, some other remains were later found at the same site and identified as George Ann Hawkins. Um, six months later, some students discovered the skulls of Linda Ann Healy, Susan Rancourt, Roberta Parks and Brenda Carroll Ball. Donna Manson's remains were never found. Well, so he sort of kept everyone close to where he picked them up. Yeah, he basically had a dump site for them. Like, I can't remember exactly where it is. I'm sure I've got it written down somewhere. Um, in August 1974, still the same year, um, Ted attended the University of Utah Law School and moved to Salt Lake City. 
He often called Elizabeth whilst also dating other women. Um, he began killing again in September, with two murders being undiscovered until Ted confessed to them before his execution. Spoiler alert. Oh. <laughs> well, we may as well stop now. <laughs> On September 2nd, he raped and strangled a hitchhiker in Idaho. The identity of the victim is still unknown, and it is still unclear about how he disposed of the body. On October 2nd, which was recently i'm not going to say when it was because that will date this podcast he kidnapped nancy wilcox and dragged her to a wooded area it was at this point he attempted to de-escalate his urges and was planning on raping her and releasing her but he stated that he accidentally strangled her whilst he was trying to silence her screams as you do yeah do you know how difficult it is to actually strangle someone it's incredibly difficult well i mean i'm a bit concerned that you know how difficult it is you know how many true crime podcasts I listen to. Nikki, is... stop. Nikki. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> anyway, continue. I hate you. Continue. Um, he buried her body, but the remains were never found. Um, October 18th, Melissa Ann Smith disappeared after leaving a pizza restaurant. She was the daughter of the police chief of Midvale, which is a Salt Lake City suburb. Her naked body was found in a mountain area nine days later, and the post-mortem implied that she was potentially alive for about a week after she disappeared. That's not very good. October 31st. Spoopy. Um, what? Spoopy. What's that? It's like spooky, but spoopy. Why don't you say spooky? It's, it's an internet thing. Okay. You, you, you're not down with the kids. It's one of those memes. <laughs> yes, very much so, Dad. <laughs> Laura Ann Aim, Amy, she's got a weird last name. Um, she disappeared after leaving a cafe just after midnight, and her naked body was found by a hike uh, was found by hikers near the American Fork Canyon on Thanksgiving. Both of the victims had been beaten, raped, sodomized, and strangled with stockings. Uh, apparently, after murdering them, Ted claimed he would wash their hair and put makeup on the corpses. That was quite a common thing that he did. Each to their own. Mm. Yeah, we all got we all got little things we like. He likes. Murdering people and then yours? putting their face on. What are yours? I don't think we should talk about that. <laughs> no. 2017, just saying. Oh my god. <laughs> You'll no- find out. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> on November 8th, Ted approached Carol DeRanch at a shopping centre. He claimed he was a police officer and that she needed to come with him because someone had tried to break into her car. At least he's changing it up a bit at this point. Yeah. You know? Yeah, when she was in, she she went along with him and mm. he said, oh, we need to go back to the station. She willingly got into his car, which is like a tan Volkswagen Beetle, still believing that it was a police officer, and she pointed out to him that they were driving the wrong way. Clearly, she <laughs> was a fan of Danish police dramas because they all had tan cars. Um, Ted pulled over and attempted to handcuff her, but he managed. she managed to escape because he, when he attempted to handcuff her, he accidentally did both handcuffs on the same hand. Because she was trying to fight him as they did it. Don't move, Ted. This was the main crime that kind of led to his capture. That same day, Deborah Jean Kent went missing after she left the theatre. Ted was seen pacing around the back of the auditorium and just outside here, police found the key that unlocked the handcuffs that were used on Carol. I mean, he's not... He's losing his... Yeah, he's starting to deteriorate he's a little bit. losing it a bit. He's not, he's not keeping up with his, his high standards, but then he's cocky, so he's getting lazy. Yeah. By now, Ted had risen considerably in the hierarchy of suspicion. Um, Elizabeth, 
his sort of on and off girlfriend. Elizabeth had called the King County Police numerous times to voice her suspicions and they interviewed her in detail but there was no evidence to link him to the Utah crimes. In 1975, Ted moved his crimes towards Colorado. On January 12th, a nurse named Karen Eileen Campbell disappeared. Her naked body was found a month later on a dirt road not far from where she was staying at the time. She had been killed by a blunt force trauma with a weapon that left grooved uh, grooved depressions on her skull. So kind of imagine the staircase almost. Okay. That was an owl, so that's not. But that's not going to. <laughs> He's just he's just been a wind up. Oh, well, you, you hundred miles away on March fifteenth, Julie Cunningham disappeared while she was on her way to have dinner with a friend. Ted later admitted that he approached her on crutches and asked her to help him carry his ski boots to his car, where he beat her, handcuffed her, then assaulted and strangled her before dumping her body. I mean, he's getting lazy. Ski boots. Yeah, he's I on mean, he's on crutches. You know why has he got ski boots? Yeah, why has he been skiing if he's on crutches? Come on, Ted, you're be- you're better than this. But then she she. She believed him, but then it's the sort of thing where she probably felt too polite. She was too polite to say no, probably. Thought, you know what? This is why he's getting into accidents. He needs help. <laughs> he needs help. A few weeks later, he then drove six hours from his home in Salt Lake City to visit her remains. Sentiment. What can you say? Can you stop just playing like a word association game? Well, he's a very sen- well clearly he's sentimental. Uh, we'll get onto that. <laughs> On April 6th, Denise Lynn Oliverson disappeared near the border of Utah and Colorado while cycling. Can we just address the fact that all these people have ridiculous names? They're never just like Anne Smith. Well, it's Anne Rule. Yeah. But why do they always have to have... Maybe that was his thing. What? Complicated names. They're not complicated names. They just have middle names. But then people think I'm weird for not having a middle name. That is weird. Yeah, exactly. So it's not just that they have weird names, they just have middle names. But then a lot of serial killers supposedly do. What, have middle names? Yeah. What's his middle name? Robert. But then, like, it's like John Wayne Gacy was, personally, kind of like, there's, there's a lot of, kind of like, those sort of names. Isn't it weird that all the serial killers have Robert as their middle name? They don't. She was cycling and she disappeared. Um, her bike and shoes were later found near a viaduct under a railroad bridge. On May 6th, so a month later, Ted kidnapped Lynette Dawn Corver from her school. She was 12 years old, so she's probably like one of the youngest victims. He drowned her and then sexually assaulted her in his hotel room and then dumped her body in a river, which is a bit a bit unusual for him. He's, he's not really one to do that. He usually, like, he, he's not really one to drown them. He usually strangles them, sexually assaults them, and then dumps them somewhere random, not in a river. Um, mm. On June 28th, Susan Curtis went missing from the Brigham Young University campus. This was the last murder that he admitted to moments before he was executed. I think Wilcox, Kent, Cunningham, Culver, Curtis and Oliverson, so the last few people we spoke about, their bodies were never recovered. While mm. this was happening, investigators in Washington were still trying to analyse the crimes that were committed there because they ended so abruptly because he moved away. Um, they created a huge database of all the information that they had cross-referenced them in lists and out of thousands of names on the list 26 names turned up on four separate lists and one of those was his mm, okay so still after all that time yeah. they didn't have any idea yeah they, they didn't suspect him he was even after being one of 26 names they still weren't really 100%. yeah they still weren't really looking at him so basically top tips if you want to be a serial killer in america in the 70s good education <laughs> yeah go back to the 70s on August 16th, 1975, Ted was arrested in a suburb of Salt Lake City for speeding. The police officer that arrested him searched his car and saw that the front passenger seat had been removed and it was put on the rear seat. 
They found a ski mask, a crowbar, handcuffs, rubbish bags, rope, an ice pick and other stuff that was assumed to be burglary tools. Police didn't have the sufficient evidence to detain him and Ted later said there was a collection of Polaroid photos that he had taken of his victims and that the police officer had missed and that he destroyed them after being released. He liked liked to to document his shit. Is that just him saying that because it's like, oh, they didn't get me? I mean, it could just be lying. It could could be. We, We don't know. Also, just random, random association here. Mm-hmm. But Ted Bundy, not a great guy, serial killer. You loved him to begin with. Well, that's his name is Ted Bundy. But anyway, any listen, listen. Ted Bundy, serial killer, not a nice man. Killed lots of people. Mm-hmm. Drove a Volkswagen Beetle. Hitler had a hand in designing. Yes, the Volkswagen people, Beetle. people have jokingly made references about that. No, it's not a joke, people. This is serious. <laughs> I'm just saying it's. A bit weird. You'd be very good on the last podcast on the left joining in with the con- conspiracy theories. I mean, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's it's a fact. You, you'd you probably set up some massive conspiracy theory about how Ted was secretly related to fucking Hitler or some no, shit. No, no. And how this was all planned from the Second World War. No, 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 no. It's a lot simpler than that. Ted was just a big VW Beetle fan. I mean, they are great cars. I like VW Beetles. Mm. Not saying 27 soon. Do-do-do-do. Some detectives travelled to Seattle to interview Elizabeth Klopfer again. She said that before he moved to Utah, she found objects that she didn't understand. Crutches, plaster of Paris, a meat cleaver that wasn't used for cooking, surgical surgical gloves and a sack of women's clothing. Yeah, Elizabeth found all those weird objects. She also had long hair that was parted in the middle and Ted used to get very upset whenever she considered cutting her hair. Soon after this, she learned about Stephanie Brooks. In September, Ted sold his car, which was impounded and then dismantled and searched by the FBI. They found hairs from Karen Campbell, Melissa Smith and Carol DeRange. He was recognised by Carol, who was the one that got away. Um, he was recognised by her and other witnesses in a lineup. There was sufficient evidence to charge him with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault on Carol DeRange. Um, he was freed on $15,000 bail, which his parents paid. Um, Seattle police had sufficient insufficient evidence to charge him with the Seattle Washington murders, but they kept him under close surveillance, so they're actually doing something right at this point. On February 23rd, 1976, Ted stood trial for Carol's kidnapping and was found guilty of kidnapping and assault on March 1st. On June 30th, he was sentenced to serve a minimum of one year and a maximum of 15 in Utah State Prison. He attempted escape in October, but failed. Also in October, Colorado authorities charged him with Karen Campbell's murder. This is, this is quite interesting. On June 7th, 1977, he was allowed to attend... He attended a preliminary hearing and chose to represent himself, which a lot of people advised against. You, you just rolled your eyes like, yeah, yeah, it's a typical... That's kind of how cocky he is. No one... No, never goes well. Yeah. Um... Because of this, he was allowed to not wear handcuffs and leg shackles. During a recess, he asked to visit the courthouse library law... Library law? Courthouse law library to research his case, but instead jumped out of a second-storey window and ran away. Well, you know, the man's clearly not an idiot. (laughs) He's an opportunist, I'd say. Um, He was running towards Aspen Mountain. He got lost in the forest and broke into cabins and trailers that he came across to salvage food and water. He eventually stole a car and attempted to drive back to Aspen, which is where his hearing was, but was spotted by two police officers because of his erratic driving. So not exactly subtle. No. Ted was sent back to jail and planned a new escape. He smuggled in a hacksaw blade and used it to saw a hole to escape through. 
He escaped on December 30th and stole a car which broke down on the interstate, but a passing driver gave him a ride to Vail. He then caught a bus to Denver and then a plane to Chicago. This is obviously pre-9-11. I was going to say, yeah. He probably didn't need need a passport, um, especially if he's just going to to another place in the country. In the days that followed, he travelled until he reached Florida. Ted said he initially wanted to find employment and resist further crimes, knowing that he could probably remain free and undetected in Florida as long as he didn't draw attention to himself. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. opportunity is... is he's, it's not that bad, because he's, he's trying... Even though he's done horrible things, he's trying to better himself. He's trying well, not to I, commit crimes. No, I don't think he's trying to better himself. I think he's just trying to lay low. I mean, because he's he, he's still trying to hide. Yeah, but he attempted to de-escalate his crimes. I mean, he didn't try to stop Well, he has no him, choice, because if he commits more crimes, people are going to go, OK, Ted... Ted Bundy's here. Yeah. You know, there's not there's not really much he could have done. Yeah. Due to a lack of identification, he struggled to get a job and resorted to shoplifting and stealing credit cards. On January 15th, 1978, a week after he arrived in Florida, he broke into the Chai Omega sorority house that was associated with Florida State University, where he began a rampage. And this is the kind of stuff that I feel like you came on to hear. Okay. At 2.45am, he bludgeoned Margaret Bowman with a piece of firewood and then grotted her with a stocking. Uh, he then... Do you know what a grot is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He then attacked Lisa Levy, who he beat unconscious, strangled her, tore one of her nipples, bit into her left... Tore? Bu- yes. Ooh, that'd be sore. Yep. Bit into her left buttock and then sexually assaulted her with a bottle. Although... That's, that's like Big Brother 2006 with Kinga when she put the bottle up her tuppence. I, I don't think I was I, I don't think I would have been old enough to see that I don't know if it was 2006 or probably earlier than now before but <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't have been watching that then that's I mean Kinga's contribution to I, entertainment I would, have, I would have been like 10 then so I don't think I'd have been well, watching yeah. that her contribution to the entertainment is she put a bottle up but you know well that's the thing I don't know if it was a bottle or I've heard on other podcasts that it was a bottle of hairspray Eva's not great yeah I mean I, I don't want any of that anywhere up me yeah. so <laughs> me neither well, at least we can agree on something finally he then attacked kathy kleiner by breaking her jaw and cutting her shoulder he then moved on to karen chandler whom he gave a, a concussion a broken jaw a crushed finger and tooth loss these attacks apparently happened in the space of 15 minutes he literally just went absolutely crazy and did well, i suppose stuff. you know if he if you got you can't the... just say I suppose and like back him up on this. Well, let's... fifteen minutes. Okay, okay. Let's just think about Ted's actions here. I can just if imagine you... like swinging around. A... If you're a serial killer and you're trying to bet yourself, like you were saying, and let's say you you're getting nowhere, you're committing crimes, people are getting suspicious. You probably just thought, "Fuck, Fuck it, it, like." This is I'm going to go mad. This is like when we ate really healthily for like a month and then I thought, "Fuck it," and ate like a large pizza to myself with like yeah. two sides. <laughs> Yeah, I remember That's that. That's the only thing I can compare it to. I remember the salad. After leaving the, fr- the after leaving the sorority house, he broke into an FSU student's apartment nearby where he attacked Cheryl Thomas. He dislocated her shoulder and fractured her jaw and skull in five places. So they've got normal names now. Are you happy? Took him long enough. Well, you see, this is <laughs> random. Before he was only he was attacking people with silly names. Now he's just going mental. So, mm. you know, she, each to their own. Everyone's a target. She was an aspiring dancer and was forced to end her career after being left with deafness and equilibrium damage. Police found a semen stain and a, ba- and a mask made of tights that contained two hairs that seemed to be Ted's. Friday 9th, he abducted 12-year-old Kimberly Diane Leach from her school. Seven weeks later, her partially mummified remains were found in a pig farrowing shed. And February 12th, 
Ted was overdue to pay his rent and stole a car to flee. Three days later, he was stopped by police near the Alabama state line after they realised his car was stolen. Um, he apparently kicked the policeman's legs out from under him and ran away, but the officer pursued him. Mm. Eventually caught him and arrested him, and Ted was taken to jail. And apparently, when he was when he arrested him, he just said that he wished he would have killed him. No. Uh, he stood trial in Miami for the university homicides and assaults. The first, the trial was the first to be nationally televised in the United States. Not the first ever. Yeah, I oh. think so. What a moment. <laughs> round of applause for Ted. No, 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 no round of applause for Ted. No, because he's a dick. <laughs> now we can agree on, some, agree on something. Finally! <laughs> Ted had five court-appointed attorneys but handled most of his own defence. Oh, what a surprise. Which was inadvertently self-sabotaging. Who would have thought? Um, during, the t- during the trial, witnesses at the sorority house placed him there on the evening of the attacks and the main incriminating evidence came from the bite wounds that Ted left. On the buttocks. Yes. Two forensic odontologists, so like orthodontist people, matched the bite wounds on Lisa Levy's left buttock to that of castings made of Ted's teeth. On July 24th, 1979, Ted Bundy was found guilty of murdering Lisa Levy and Bowman. Three counts of attempted first-degree murder against Kleiner, Chandler and Thomas, and two counts of burglary. The judge imposed death sentences for the murder convictions. Wow. Well, that seems... Should have happened a lot sooner, mm. and I'm surprised. Well, I just get surprised he escaped twice. Like, yeah, <laughs> like he just managed to get away and then managed to live a life for a little bit before. I think like one of the escapes. I'm not sure if it was an attempt or not, but he basically starved himself so that he could fit through like an event that was in his his yeah, jail mental. cell. Absolutely mental. Six months later, he was found guilty for the abduction and murder of Kimberly Leach, who was the 12 year old. During the sentencing of that trial, Ted took a. <laughs> this this didn't even really do anything. He just this was just I think for show. He took advantage of an obscure Florida law that a marriage declaration in court, in the justice of a, in the presence of a judge, constituted as a legal marriage. So Ted was questioning Carol Ann Boone, who was testifying on his behalf as a character witness. During the questioning, he asked her to marry him. She accepted, and they and then that meant they were legally married. Right. But like, but what? What does that gain him? Nothing. 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 It's just him being a dick. Well, if this if it's live on telly, yeah, it sounds like he's trying to perform. Yeah, it's I, just I, like look how, look at me, look how yeah. it's all all the attention's on him for doing these crazy things. You can guarantee the following day there's probably reports like Ted Bundy. Blah, 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 mm, blah, yeah, like, exactly. He wants publicity. But then I have put that the only thing I can think of is that is potentially that spousal privilege might have been a thing because spouses don't actually have to testify against their their, their spouses but then she's not testifying against him she's giving her a character witness so i don't really I, I don't know maybe it's to get back at the ex who he did he proposed to and then didn't was she there no i don't uh, she, well it was tele- televised so she would have seen it she, so yeah, maybe it was like an ultimate sort of and again another fuck you to her was like you know what now I'm, i've killed all these people and i'm married but then if i was her i'd think lucky fucking escape i've dodged a bullet here i'd think that poor fucking woman that's decided to marry him anyway on february 10th 1980 ted bundy was sentenced for a third time to death by electric electrocution Apparently, when this one was announced, he stood up and shouted, "Tell the jury they were wrong." He was apparently he was very aggressive in court. Like apparently, one of the judges or one of the one of the lawyers or something said that he would be a very good lawyer. And right when 
I haven't watched the footage of his trial because it's really, really long. But apparently he was like aggressive and was shouting a lot. It just wasn't a very good lawyer in terms of his behaviour. <laughs> yeah. In October 1982, Carol Ann Boone gave birth to a daughter that she claimed was Ted's. Right. Con- conjugal visits weren't allowed at the prison, but it was common knowledge that inmates would bribe the guards to let them have intimate time alone with their female visitors. Oh, lovely. So just imagine there's someone out there whose dad is Ted Bundy. Potentially. I mean, it could, yeah. she could be lying for attention. Yeah, but then... People do that. But to be fair, if my husband was Ted Bundy, I don't think I'd want any more attention than I was already getting. Yeah. Not long after his trials and all the long appeals that followed, Ted started a series of interviews with Stephen Michard Michard, and Hugh Ainsworth. Ted did not want the stigma of confession and so spoke mostly in the third person and for the first time started disclosing details of his crimes that he thought uh, and the thought processes behind them. Ted spoke about his early career as a thief and said that the big payoff for me was actually possessing whatever it was I had stolen. I really enjoyed having something that I wanted gone out and taken. But this makes sense as to why he eventually started to rape and murder. And he said that a sexual assault fulfilled his need to totally possess his victims. No, well, it's just very strange. Yes. Very strange. Like, I mean, he could have been happily married. Yes, but it wasn't meant to be. No, because he just wanted to rape. In October 1984, apparently Ted contacted Robert Keppel, who's a he's now former police officer and detective, and offered to share his ex- expertise in serial killer psychology. Um, when I went to see Paul Harrison's talk about interviewing serial killers, he said that Ted knew Gary Ridgway, who was also known as Green Green River Killer. He said that Ted had made a deal to get a reduced sentence in return for his knowledge on the Green River Killer. Apparently, all the information he had was true and did actually help massively in the car- in the capture of Gary Ridgway. But we'll cover him in another episode. Ooh! In 1986, Ted's execution date was set for the Chai Omega conviction- convictions on March 4th. Uh, this was later changed to July 2nd. Ted finally confessed to some of the interviewers um, the full range of his crimes, or at least what they believed to be the full range of his crimes which included details of what he did with the victims after their death. It's all publicity. He just wants... It's, I don't know if maybe he gets to the point where he's like, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I may as well become as notorious as possible. Well, yeah. Taylor Mountain in Issaquah was the main place he chose to dispose of the bodies, but he didn't exactly dispose of them. Ted said he revisited Taylor Mountain and a couple of his other crime scenes to lie with his victims and perform more sexual acts upon them. Apparently he did this until the bodies had decomposed to the point of being unbearable or where he physically couldn't anymore. Nice. <laughs> In Utah, he would apply makeup to Melissa Smith's uh, face and repeatedly wash Laura Ames' hair. With approximately 12 of his victims, he decapitated them with a hacksaw, many of which he kept at home for a while before disposing of them, which kind of makes sense because a lot of their skulls were found. Like trophies. Yes. Put them on the mantelpiece. Yes, like Jeffrey Dahmer. Way, yeah. no, way before Nirvana. But that makes sense because they found a lot of the skulls. Yeah. They? So that, that does kind of correlate. The day before Ted's scheduled execution, the Chai Omega case was, re- was reviewed. They reviewed Ted's mental competency to stand trial and a 6-6 tie that the jury came to that was never resolved. was supposed um, That was supposed to help decide whether Ted would receive life imprisonment or the death penalty. That was kind of... They tried yeah. to resolve that. Ted's execution date was later changed to January 24th, 1989. After this, as Ted 
Ted's appeal opportunities were all used up. He didn't really have any reason to deny his crimes. He agreed to speak with investigators. He admitted to all eight of the murders in Washington and the Oregon murders where he was only suspected of them. He detailed three other murders too, but he wouldn't identify them. But there's speculation as to whether he even knew their identities. He admitted to... this is the, you, you, I think you'll like this in terms of goriness. He admitted to burning the head of... The, Donna Manson, whose remains were never found. He admitted to burning her head on Elizabeth's fireplace saying, of all the things I did to her, this is probably the one she is least likely to forgive me for. Poor Liz. Oh. <laughs> Your face. Nice, Ted. This is what you signed up for. It's just not very nice. No, no, they don't tend to be. Um, he went into detail about George Ann Hawkins, who he had abducted from the alleyway at University of Washington. He spoke about luring her into his car, clubbing her, handcuffing her and before he drove her to Issaquah strangled her and then spent the night with her body which he revisited on three other occasions there's sort of like a weird romance yeah it. he's got like a weird sort of attachment to them yeah it's like he visits them he like washes their hair, he cares about like he still cares about them yeah his, I, think it, I, think it's more, the I think it's more like the possession thing really yeah he also admitted to returning to the alleyway the next day where he found and stole one of George Ann's shoes and her earrings, even though the alleyway was a major crime scene that was being investigated. Um, so like, it was all cut off and everything, but he managed... That's just how good he was, he managed to sneak in and steal Crazy. stuff from the crime scene. He carried on admitting to crimes, even to ones that were unknown to the police. Carol Ann Boone had always been adamant that Ted was innocent up until his confessions, by which she felt deeply betrayed and she didn't answer his phone call on the day that he was executed. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm not being funny, but surely she knew these... He admitted to some of the crimes before this. Before, like, So why is Caroline being so surprised? I, th- I think he, he admitted more to, like, burglary and stealing. I don't think he admitted to the murders. Oh, I think right. he admitted to other stuff. Yeah, that poor woman really believed that he was innocent up until he confessed. And I put, I can't really feel any sympathy for her because I don't think she knew him when the, all this was going on and she just took his word for it and decided to believe him marry him and have a child with him and that i feel even more sorry for that child i just don't get her to be honest because yeah. it's it was all sort of proven i guess while the trial was going on yeah and it doesn't sound like he didn't ad- admit to these things yet she chose but now she's surprised yeah, no. but, yeah but that's how he probably had her wrapped around his little finger probably Ted Bundy was executed by the electric chair on 7.16am on January 24th, 1989, at 42 years old. Hundreds of people, including off-duty police officers, sang, danced and set off fireworks nearby the prison when he was executed. He was cremated and his ashes were scattered at an undisclosed location in Washington in accordance with his will. I'm sure he would have liked that, though. It's a weird... Yeah, sort probably. Of like, he's like, yeah, the, the, yeah, I've really affected these people. Celebrate yeah. me. Because like, they're, yeah. they're celebrating his death, but they're basically celebrating him at the yeah, same time. basically. Come on, people. Think about it. <laughs> Overall, Ted Bundy murdered 11 people in Washington, three of which were are unidentified. Eight people in Utah, three of which are unidentified. Three people in Colorado, three people in Florida, two are unidentified in Oregon, two in Idaho, one of which is unidentified, one unidentified in California. These are just the ones he admitted to, but he was suspected of potentially over 100 women. Wow. And that's, that's Ted Bundy. Interesting guy. Mm. Yeah, wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley, but... Oh no, someone already did. Yeah, and what happened? 
So, yeah, not really... Do you feel a little bit bad for always saying Ted Bundy to me now? A little bit. <laughs> now that you know who he really is. He's a bit of a murderer. Yeah, he's he's kind of like what I refer to as kind of the introduction. So any, anyone who like first finds out about serial killers, this is tends to, he tends to be one of the most famous serial killers. He's probably one of the more interesting because of all the background stuff as well. Like yeah. He's not just... You can't just start off with... You know, he was people. Oh, he's always a strange guy. You know, there's always something a bit off about him because there wasn't. Yeah. Like at the start, he, he was just he was a normal, normal guy. People liked him. You know, he had he had a couple of girlfriends who liked him yeah. as well. You know, he he clearly was just a normal guy. And no one thought he could do these things. So, yeah. you know, it's strange. Yeah, like Anne Rule was saying that she thought of him as the perfect man, and she was always kind of saying, "Oh, if I was a bit younger, or my daughters were a bit older." There you go. He's just a normal guy who had this dark side. So you don't really know. Like I said, just proves you don't really know people until yeah. they murder nearly a hundred people. <laughs> but yeah, he's the kind of one where he's probably the mo- one of the most famous ones. And oh yeah, he's... I think a lot of people. Like I think with some of them, with some of them, they mention him. Like I think he's probably in some songs. Yeah, and stuff he's like that. he's not he's not the first one I heard about, but he's kind of. The first, like, I feel like there's a group of circulars that are kind of the initial ones that people know about, and then the the more kind of unknown ones. So like Jack the Ripper is one of the main ones, like Eileen Mornos, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, the, the kind of just the generic ones. But yeah, that's kind of like my way of introducing you properly to true crime, even though you've already had a taste of the st- the staircase and making a murderer. Well, it was the owl, but let's not get into that now. You don't believe that it was the owl. I'm just saying, does, we can't prove... We can't. Are you Rocky Flintstone always saying, just saying? I'm just saying. That's all he does on Twitter, is like, just saying. But yes, Ted Bundy, not a nice guy. And I think we can all agree on that. He looked like a pretty standard guy, so, I mean, if yeah. you looked at him, you wouldn't think any... He doesn't look like a serial killer. Mm. He doesn't look like anything, he just looks like a normal guy. He looks, he looks more like one of the lawyers than anything, but... Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't like to meet him. Ted Bundy wasn't a... Let's just get it straight. Ted Bundy, not a nice guy. Yeah, but you were like one of the last people in the world to find that out. Well, you know, I don't keep up with all my serial killers and stuff like that. i got better things to do. Mm. But you know what? I'm glad I came into the other room. <laughs> to do this chat pod- with you. To do this podcast. To do this podcast. Well, I mean, um, it wasn't a head traumatic experience. Well, I'm going to be telling you about more in the future because this podcast was initially inspired by you anyway. Oh, because I'm so great. No, because you know fuck all about true crime. True crime, streets of LA, next episode. <laughs> Don't do that. I love that song. Don't ruin it for me. <laughs> that was horrible you don't even throw up oh, Ted Bundy my rating I give Ted Bundy a 5 out of 6 knives for craziness we, we should start doing that I feel like you should start rating 5 series. out of 6 knives why 6 because 6 he doesn't deserve six. He wishes he was six. Why? Why have you chosen six as the the kind? This of... is my scale. Okay. No. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. Fine. I'll. I'll. Okay. Ted Bundy. Five out of six knives. Who was last week? Um, or last time? Well, you'll have to listen. No, no, no. And well, who was last out. time? Let me just. I'll rate them. Anthony Hardy, the Camden Ripper. Camden Ripper. Uh, he gets four. 
Actually, no, that's maybe... You didn't know anything about him, though. He was a lot more gory. I'll have to listen to last week to mm. find out. Can you stop leaning into the microphone? You're going to throw off the sound. But, but not last week, as in last week, the YouTube series, as in just listen to the last episode. Yes, the previous episode of Head Trauma. Yes. Are you done now? Bad bitch. My pleasure. You can do some, you can do some ASMR for us.